New Testament reading is in John 8. Beginning at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, Therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, You know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Our sermon text, I have two for you. Uh, first one is in Ephesians chapter 6. I'm going to read verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Then we're going to turn back to Deuteronomy, chapter 6. And I'm going to read verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words I command you today that shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of our Lord. You can be seated. Praise his name. Thank you, Ty, for the reading. Thank you, Ty, and musicians for sharing your gifts, offering those to the Lord. What a blessing to just join our voices and just to, to praise our God. Uh, a great job. Uh, thank you so much for um, your prayers and the encouragement I've already received. And I pray that as we, as we come this morning and as we look at these texts, I recognize very fully that, uh, that many in here are not fathers, right? Uh, that'd be impossible. <laughs> Uh, I know that some of you are fathers and your children are, are, are gone and, and out of the house. Uh, some of you are fathers yet to be. Uh, there are grandfathers. But I pray there are principles here. It's important that we know the word of the Lord, that we understand these things. And as Jeremy prayed, all the more so because these institutions are under such attack right now. Um, so I pray that as we look at the word, as we look at these scriptures, as we study the word together, that, uh, that fathers will be encouraged and taught, but that we will all together be encouraged. There are principles of godly fatherhood that are just simply 
godliness. And I pray that, uh, that as we study and look at these things, that, that you will all be edified and encouraged. So uh, let's, um, uh, let's dive in. And uh, I'd like to just kind of kind of stay in line with how Jeremy was praying uh, on the attacks that, that we're under right now and that God's institutions are under. And so before we look at uh, and study our text, uh, I'd like to just look at, in this day and age uh, at, at what's going on and consider some of the consequences as we see the breakdown of the family occurring, and particularly the attack on fatherhood and the epidemic of so much father, fatherlessness across our nation. As our second president, John Adams, famously stated, facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence. Just listen and, and consider uh, the, uh, the results and the consequences of fatherlessness in our culture. Uh, there are approximately 20 million children uh, from what I read, that's about a fourth of the children in our country today living in homes without a father. In homes where children are raised without a father, they are 47% more likely to live in poverty. 90% of homeless and runaway youth come from fatherless homes. 85% of children diagnosed with emotional and behavioral disorders come from homes without fathers. 80% of adolescents in psychiatric hospitals, 71% of high school dropouts, 70% in juvenile correctional facilities, and approximately 75% of substance abusers come from homes without fathers. These heartbreaking statistics simply confirm what we already know, that things do not go well when you reject the word of the Lord and rebel against his ordained institutions. Romans 13.2 says, Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. So the absence of fatherhood is a major crisis in our culture. However, as Christian fathers, we are not simply called just to be present, to be there. Our calling is much higher. For God has given us particular instructions in our roles and responsibilities as fathers. It is a high and holy and hard calling. It is instituted by the Lord God himself, and it was instituted by God from the very beginning. So let us consider this calling together this morning as we look together in our Bibles at Ephesians 6.4, and we look at this well-known text. Uh, let's, uh, let's pray and let's God, ask God to bless our time studying uh, his word. Father God, we thank you so much for our time now to, to, to dive into your word, to read, to study, to look intently at these passages. We pray, Lord, that you will teach us. Open the eyes of our heart, Lord, that we may, that we may learn and discern wondrous things from your word. Lord, we pray that you would, that you would bless the, this time, that you would uh, give us attentive ears and hearts, and I pray that we would uh, grow in grace and in knowledge. Lord, for the fathers in here, pray that, that we would grow. For the non-fathers in here, or the fathers with children out of, out of the home, Lord, I pray that we too, that they too would, would grow and be encouraged and be blessed. Lord, be honored and be glorified in this time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, well, we see in uh, chapter 4, right off the bat, who this verse is directed to. It comes after instruction to children in 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. But then right after that, the Holy Spirit, uh, working it through Paul, Lord tells us, Fathers, gives a word directly to fathers. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a parallel passage in Colossians 3, verse 21, that says basically the same thing. Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Okay, so we have an important calling. We have instructions given by God. And in a very short sentence, in a verse, it is packed full with implications and instruction for us. So, uh, but first off, it says fathers. Okay, it is to fathers that God has given the primary responsibility to be the head of the household. And as such, fathers are called to lead in the oversight and administration of a godly, Bible-saturated and Christ-centered household. Too often there is an abdication of this responsibility, right? There are a lot of things that tempt us as dads to just lay low or to back off. Perhaps it's a demanding job or very likely a gifted wife and mother who does a great job with instruction and teaching, and that's great, right? But, but don't, we can't let this be a temptation or excuse for us to abdicate our responsibilities. Okay? Perhaps you have a busy schedule. There are many things that tempt us to neglect our calling. However, dads, it is ultimately your responsibility to ensure that you are carrying out your vision, purpose, and goals towards this end, that Christ will be the great treasure of your home, and that loving and honoring God in all things will be paramount above everything else. Now, this responsibility can and often should be delegated. First on the list is uh, your wife, your partner, your companion, your suitable helper. She shares in this vision. She compliments you in so many ways. She implements and shares this vision with you, comes up beside you offering her gifts and her energies as she responds to her calling from the Lord. Okay, And her calling and her impact is also a high and holy thing, okay? The local church, Sunday school, VBS, Wednesday nights, Christian schools, Bible studies, these all play an important role in the teaching and discipling of our children. However, again, but God has given to fathers the ultimate accountability and the ultimate stewardship, all right, to, to make sure our children are disciplined and nurtured and nourished and instructed in the Lord. But before instructing us with a positive command, what to do, all right, we begin with there's a negative command. And by negative, I don't mean bad, right? We think of negative in terms sometimes of, oh, it's, this is something bad. No, it's negative in the terms of it's instructing us what not to do. So before giving us the positive command of what to do, we're going to be instructed what to avoid, what not to do. So after fathers, it says, do not provoke. Some translations use the word exasperate. Do not provoke or exasperate your children to anger. Now, in the cultural context of this day, in the Roman culture in particular, the father was an autocrat. Okay? There was a legal practice known as the patria potestas, which gave the father absolute ownership 
of his family. Authoritarian control, if you will, with legal rights to, if he chose to, sell his children as slaves, leave an infant, you know, on someone else's doorway or somewhere by the wayside. All right. Uh, Even the ability to administer the death penalty in certain cases. While he lived, he had all power over property and marriage rights of his family. But within that context, consider the graciousness of our God, all right, and how this models our heavenly Father, who is sovereign, who is head, who is supreme, but he is compassionate. He is full of steadfast love. And not to say all fathers back then weren't compassionate or loving, but in this cultural context, we still see that God is laying out directives on how a godly father is to act, okay? How a spirit-filled father is to exercise authority and headship. Or in, this, in the first part of verse four, or how not to. It says, do not provoke your children to anger. This word provoke literally means to agitate or to irritate, uh, to treat harshly or unfairly. Now listen, uh, kids, you listen too because this is important. This doesn't mean the children will never feel angry or they won't feel exasperated all right, or be upset over rules or expectations or discipline, right? Hebrews 12 is very clear. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for in the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Alistair Begg says this, quote, the precepts of Christian parenting will provoke arguments and friction of their own at times. That's okay. We stand by the ways of truth even if we lose points in the home popularity game. Some exasperations simply come with the territory. But that isn't the real problem, is it? We are more concerned here in this text with the frustration of children that comes not from our wisest moments, but from those unwise things we say and do in our weaker moments, end quote. So as we take a look at this, I'm just gonna offer you five, I think fairly common ways that children could be exasperated. This is definitely not an exhaustive list, but these are five pitfalls or dangers or provocations or exasperations that um, I will just put forth to you to strive to avoid to keep this from happening and your children becoming uh, provoked, stirred to anger, or discouraged. Uh, Number one, don't be overly harsh, rigid, or severe. Galatians 6.1 says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person in a spirit of gentleness. Firm, principled, but gentleness. Okay? And if this is true in all cases across the church, how much more so for a father or parent in the home? Parenting does require, require a degree of strictness, to be sure, but overbearing degrees of harshness can exasperate and crush the spirit. So strive to balance justice and mercy in your dealings with your children. And another way to avoid being overly severe or harsh is... Discern the difference between willful disobedience, intentional and unintentional sins, mistakes, and accidents. All sins are not of the same degree, and as such, they should be handled with appropriate wisdom and discernment. Number two, strive to avoid inconsistency, okay? Say what you mean, mean what you say, 
and do it out of principle and because Christ has called you to do it. Don't wait until you get angry. That makes it more about you, okay? Don't, don't parent or discipline by mood swings. That's not the calling, right? It's very tempting to overlook sinful attitudes and behaviors until you've had enough. I've had it up to here and now it's time to, you know, to drop the hammer. Uh, that's, uh, that's not a healthy way to do it. Okay, Um, remember godly discipline is not about your mood, your anger. It is God's design for the correction, instruction, sanctification, growth, and maturity of your children. As his steward, your responsibility is to honor him. It takes time and energy, but strive to be consistent in training and disciplining as the issues arise. Don't wait until you've had it up to here Take every opportunity you can to train your kids, to point them to Christ, to instruct them, to correct them, right? So, so uh, that's number two. Number three, another pitfall or exasperation to avoid. Being overly critical, particularly with the absence of praise. Beware the temptation to point out all the negatives, okay? While barely, if ever, expressing approval, encouragement, and genuine praise, Also, along these lines, beware of ridiculing and critiquing in front of others. Number four, beware of dis... uh, This goes hand in hand. This goes a little bit with number uh, number, uh, one, but uh, it's a little different, and I'll explain. Beware of disciplining out of anger and frustration. The difference is, in the first one, just, just in general being cognizant and striving to just avoid just being severe or overly harsh. This one focuses a little more in the moment as I ended that first point. Anger is very often a natural response and not always bad. But remember, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. Listen to the word. Listen to a few verses on this principle. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word provokes or stirs up the Spirit. Proverbs 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man quietly holds it back. And one more, James 1, 19 and 20 says, my beloved brothers, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And listen to this, verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteousness that God desires. And number five, another pitfall to avoid is external moralism. Don't focus merely on external behaviors. Focus on the inward heart. Now, the externals are a window into the heart. They kind of let you know what's going on, what's being thought, what the motives are, what the desires are. But keep the heart condition and the gospel in full full view. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence. I think the NIV says, above all else, guard your heart. For from it, from your heart, flows the springs of life. Okay? Our issues, my issues, your issues, and your children's issues are ultimately a heart issue. And it's the heart, right, that needs to be changed and addressed and pointed to the gospel and pointed to Christ. Right? Because We're born with a heart issue. We're born with cold, stony hearts that do not know God and do not love God, right? And only through him and through the gospel can those hearts be transformed from dead, stony hearts to living hearts of flesh, alive to God. 
So point them to the gospel, point them to Christ, and take your cues from God, okay? Because there's so many other ways we could exasperate or sinfully provoke our children. Take your cues from God, our heavenly Father, okay? Who according to Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, we'll read that. You can turn with me to Hebrews 12, starting in verse 7. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But here's the key. But he disciplined us and disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God, as our Father in heaven, disciplines us. Why and how? For our good, that we may share in his holiness, that our lives may yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness and of the spirit. That's the heart. That's the goal. And if you keep that goal before you, and if you take your cues from your heavenly father, then um, sinful exasperations will be few and far between. Okay, so that's what to avoid. Now let's look at the second part, what to do, the positive command. It says, fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's a conjunction here from what not to do, but the opposite of exasperating your children okay, has a worldliness to it because, because now it's saying, but instead of doing it like that, do it like this. Do it unto the Lord. Raise them in the nurture and the admonition, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, this word bring up is very important and it's crucial to this text. The word bring up is the Greek word ek trepho, Okay, which means to literally to feed. That's what trepho means, to feed. All right, so ek trepho is to feed out or in a more, a more uh, understandable way, to nourish thoroughly. It's not a militaristic or a moralistic term. It's a horticultural term. It's also used in Ephesians 5.29 when husbands are being called to love your wives as Christ loved the church and then it says, no one ever hated his own body, but he nourishes ectrepho and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So see, in the very same passage, just a few verses before, we see the exact same word being used and translated as nourish. So fathers, we're to feed and nurture and nourish our children. How? Well, two, two ways. And the Greek here is Padea, and then the second Greek word is nuthesia. Now, let's start with nutheia, translated in the ESV here as in the discipline of the Lord. But this word translated discipline implies much more than just the punishment or the corrective part of discipline. It is a very comprehensive term that's full of meaning. As we saw from uh, to nourish or to feed, to bring up your children, Right? It implies rearing and training the whole child. The Latin Vulgate translates this word discipulus 
from which derives the English word disciple. Okay? It encompasses both the formative aspects of discipline as we strive to shape and to influence and to teach, right, the things of the Lord, and it implies the corrective parts to be sure, the parts that we think of as discipline. Both are in view. It carries the idea of enculturation, okay? So fathers, enculturate your children in the things of the Lord. Train and nurture them. How do you nurture a garden or a plant? You feed it, you water it, you pay attention, you amend the soil, okay? You're aware of the conditions and you, you, you tend your garden very carefully. Well, it's the same principle here. Tend to your children very carefully. Train and nurture and correct them in the ways of the Lord. Surround them with actions and attitudes of genuine discipleship, right? It's the Nuthesia, the next one's gonna be more particularly in the positive teaching. This is more in nourishing them in just Christian living, in prayers, in acts of service, in worship, in the words and attitudes you portray, how your character and your love for Christ comes out, okay? And your obedience. And then, and as you're living that out in the home, you're teaching, you're correcting, you're disciplining when necessary, okay? So nourish them in an aroma of love for Christ and in an appetite for the exaltation and the praise of his name. And I'll quote Pastor Butch from a few sermons ago, project to them a big Jesus. A small Jesus doesn't inspire awe or command attention, end quote. All right, so raise them up in the paideia, the discipline, the nurture of the Lord, but also in the instruction of the Lord, the nuthesia of the Lord. We are called to make sure that the truths of God's word are being taught and discussed. This word can also be translated admonishment, words of warning, okay? Verbal instruction and admonition from the Bible should characterize every Christian home. Bible reading, catechisms, scripture memory, corporate worship, family worship, and age-appropriate theology and doctrinal discussions, and scripture songs, should regularly and joyfully fill the walls of our houses. And you know what? And even if you're single or wherever you're at in life, that's just true, isn't it? That just rings true for everybody. Fill your heart, fill your mind with the word of Christ. As a matter of fact, Colossians 3.16 says that very clearly. Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you. How? Richly as you teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. An Old Testament counterpart to this passage. And Ty read, I got him, I asked him to read both of them. You can turn back to uh, Deuteronomy chapter six, but this is a great Old Testament counterpart to Ephesians 6, 4. So let's turn to Deuteronomy six and we'll pick up here. This is also referred to as the Shema. If you've ever heard that term, which means here, that's how the passage starts. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Sound familiar? First and greatest commandment right here. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. 
You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So, but before verse, and there weren't verses when Moses wrote this. They weren't numbered like this. But, but for lack of a better way to say it, before verse 7, fathers and parents instruct your children, teach them diligently, comes verse, uh, verses 4 and 5 and six, and that's important because before the instruction to teach comes, there comes first an admonition to love God. The first and greatest commandment is here presented, and rightly so. It is the only fitting response to the one true God who has called us and who has saved us and who has made us his people. All right, loving the Lord our God with all our heart with all our mind, with all our strength, with all our soul, it's fitting, it's right. It's the first and greatest commandment, right? And then not only are we to be making sure that this is, this is to us, this is to you. Love God with all your heart, okay? Not talking about teaching them to your children yet. Love God with all your heart, with all your soul and strength. Then it says and in verse six, and these words that I command you today shall be, where? On your heart, okay? Not just, not just a passing nod to them every once in a while before bed, right, or at, or at church, right? But they're to be in your heart, okay? Now, Psalm 1 verse 2 basically says the same thing. It says that the blessed man, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates, day and night. His mind and heart are filled with the word of Christ, with the word of God. Psalm 19.10, regarding the law of the Lord, the Bible, the word of God, all right, um, says about the commands of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings from the honeycomb. Is that your view of the word? Is that your experience as you engage God studying and reading? Listen, it can be, and if it hasn't been, okay, then, then repent. Ask God. Seek God. Go to God. This is, this is the response, right, of God's children as we approach his word. They're, they're greater than gold, sweeter than honey, or fill in the blank for the, your candy or, or sweet treat of choice. It's better than that, okay? C.S. Lewis in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, says this about this passage. The order of the divine, the, the, the divine mind embodied in the divine law is beautiful. What should a man do but try to reproduce it so far as possible in his daily life? His delight is in those statutes. To study them is like finding treasure. They affect him like music. They are his songs. They taste like honey. They are better than silver and gold. As one's eyes are more and more opened, one sees more and more in them. And it excites wonder. This is not priggery or even scrupulosity. It is the language of a man ravished by the moral beauty of God. If we cannot at all share his experience, we shall be the losers, end quote. And one more quote. Sorry to quote you all 
to death on this part, but uh, Ray Rhodes Jr. in his book on, um, on Charles Spurgeon and his wife Susie um, said this about them and their, and, and, and their relationship and how they together, uh, how they approached the scriptures. It says, quote, reading scripture was like food for their souls. Meditation was like crushing grapes for the best wine. Prayer was entering into the welcoming arms of their heavenly father to praise him and to embrace his promises for them. And family worship was simply what godly families did, for God is worthy of worship. Charles and Susie were not half-hearted in their efforts. And they said, they encouraged readers of their books not to be content with, quote, sickly spiritual life as dishonors Christ and hurts oneself, end quote. Charles and Susie simply kept, quoting them again, drinking of that living water, constantly, and they were refreshed and strengthened thereby for suffering or for service. May the Lord spare us from sickly uh, spiritual vitality. May we thrive and flourish, and it comes from the Word of God. It comes from walking by the Spirit. It comes from, from learning, from reading, from desiring, okay, from embracing, from obeying, and then sharing in that with the people of God and in singing their other means of grace, but, but, but foremost and paramount in your spiritual vitality and to keep you from a sickly spiritual and a weak spiritual disposition, you must come to the word. You must feast on the word. You must desire it more than your necessary food. All right, so, so that's the idea here. And before we instruct, and if love for God is there, and if the word is in our hearts, then we're ready in light of Colossians 3.16 to teach and admonish others. And in light of verse 7 in Deuteronomy 6 here, says, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. Now, um, the teach them diligently is actually one word in the Hebrew and it's an interesting word. I won't try to pronounce it. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but, but I like to study these things and know what they mean. Um, it's the word for sharpen or to wet, W-H-E-T. Okay. Now, to sharpen a knife or a blade is a very careful, if you've ever done it or seen it or just think about it, to do it you know, by hand or how it would have been done in that day, is a very careful, methodical, repetitive and diligent process. The idea in the context of teaching your children is very similar to that. It is to be done with great diligence, be done frequently, earnestly, and with great care. We are to uh, teach them constantly, okay? Listen to the rest of the passage. We've already read it, but just take one more time, take note of what it says. You get the idea of it when you rise up, when you lie down, when you're sitting in your house, when you're walking by the way, all right, when uh, you're at the table, I'll just fill in a few for, for you, for practical things for now. When you're driving in the car, when you're sitting in traffic, when you're going to softball or baseball practice, okay, uh, when you're sitting around the table, listen, the word, just fill your house and fill your life and the lives of your children with the word. We are to teach them constantly, all right? Keep the word of God front and center. Don't just give it a random nod or mention at certain times of the week or at bedtime or at dinner time. Strive to make the word the foundational underpinning and the overarching umbrella of your life and of your home. 
Let it permeate all things. And let it permeate the minds and the hearts of your family. Talk about it. Discuss God, the gospel. Talk about and study the nature of God, the commands of God, the promises of God, and the great works of God. And talk about it in the mornings and in the afternoons and in the evenings and at home and abroad and all the time. And of course, there are other conversations to be had and there will be other duties and responsibilities. But the message is clear, isn't it? It's not to say there aren't other things to talk about and to address. But, but I think the message is very clear. In all that we do, every chore, hobby, task, goal, activity, we are to be God-honoring, Christ-centered, Bible-saturated, and Spirit-filled so that we all and our children with us and after us will continually grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and ever increasingly find ourselves fulfilling 1 Corinthians 10.31, which says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Now, in closing, I just want to address just a few, just, just a few side notes uh, as we close our, our, our time here uh, in the Word together. Uh, and, and again, it's to everyone, but let me just particularly say fathers, uh, but this applies to everybody. Fathers, commune with God. Okay, take that out of this. Commune with God. Make spending time with God in prayer and in study a daily priority. Right? And press in until it's a joyful and a delightful priority, like the psalmist in Psalm 19:10 and in so many other places. May the well of your heart be full and overflowing. Number two, and trust God. Remember this, okay, since we are talking about fatherhood and parenting, there is no secret formula to successful parenting. You can follow every wise method, and yet your children may not know the Lord or walk with the Lord. So you must engage in prayer and in trust, remembering ultimately that your children are really God's, and you are stewards, and you will be accountable ultimately to Him but that you recognize and remember that he alone changes hearts. He is alone is the giver of salvation, okay? Not to, under, not, to, not to undermine our efforts. They're very important. God has given them to us. We've looked at him this morning, right? But, but remember to trust God because it is God alone who saves and God alone who changes hearts. So be prayerful. Number three, mentioned this earlier, but I wanna say it again. Take your cues from God. Strive to model his fatherly and his shepherding nature. Just take a look at a very popular psalm, Psalm 23. We see there a father who, who leads and guides to pleasant and to good places, who protects, right, and who, who provides, right? So there's so much, all right, and God is our perfect heavenly father. You may not have had a great father, okay? Uh, you might not have this kind of model, but we all have the perfect model in our heavenly father. So number three, take your cues from him. And lastly, listen, don't be discouraged by any of this, okay? May trust in that truth that God is sovereign and in control and that he is patient and compassionate even to you as his child, okay? Then hold that out as a constant hope in your lives. 
And don't be discouraged by past failures because we all fall short. I'm preparing this and I come up here and I just wrestle with doubts and I don't do this great, you know. I struggle. It's my heart. It's my desire. But, but I have so many shortcomings. Listen, don't be discouraged by that. God has given us today. He's given us a new day. And while we have life and breath, let us renew our aim to please him and to be the people and the fathers that God has called us to be. Put these things into practice, and in light of Hebrews 12:1, let us all lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus as we run the race he has marked out for us. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can call upon you as Father. Lord, you are so perfect. You are awesome. You are supreme and and majestic in every attribute. Thank you for the way that you so perfectly lead and guide us. Lord, and how you balance these principles in our lives as you lead us. Lord, and sometimes it feels heavy and sometimes it feels very compassionate. Lord, you know what we need. You have provided for us so perfectly and you have provided our greatest needs, our needs of a new heart, our needs for salvation. We need forgiveness and a righteousness that can get us into heaven to be with you. You have provided that for us. Jesus, thank you for the work you have done that we may have salvation, that we may enjoy sonship and, and, be, uh, and to be your family and to be inheritors of your kingdom. What a blessing. Thank you that you also provide for us day by day. Thank you for the way you care about us and you love us and you are compassionate. Thank you that you do give us these chances. You are slow to anger. Lord, you are, you are a loving and a gracious heavenly father and you know our frame and you remember that we are weak. You remember that we're from the dust and as a father has compassion on his children, so you have compassion on us. Lord, I pray that that will not lead at all to, to cheap grace. Lord, that, that is a misunderstanding. Your compassion and your grace should make us zealous, should, should empower us, Lord, and should compel us to obey you with all our heart, to be the fathers you've called us to be, the mothers, the children, the brothers and the sisters, the people of God that you have called us to be. Oh, Lord, thank you for providing for us. Thank you for being our perfect heavenly father. And help us as we strive to imitate you and as we strive to be the kind of people and in line with Ephesians 6, 4, the kind of fathers that you have called us to be. Lord, bless us, help us, strengthen us and encourage us. And we pray that it will all be for your glory. And we pray for our children, Lord, and we do entrust them to you. Lord, we pray that they will walk with you and they will know you, that they will look past our shortcomings and failures and that they will, they will see you, the one who has no shortcoming and no failure, and that they will put their trust and their hope in you. Lord, help us to point them. And as we sang earlier, help us to lead them to the shoreline that they may find uh, rest and salvation in the living waters. You are the fountain of every blessing. As we come now to the table, Lord, I pray that we will just share in the joy of this fountain that is poured out for us, this fountain of love, this fountain of forgiveness and grace. Lord, as we share in this time around the table now, oh Lord, be glorified. Continue to work in our hearts for your great glory and for our great good. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.